Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. I didn't realize how many stories in the Bible contain a well before I started this series and have this sermon, maybe one or two more to go in this series, but there are a lot of stories in the Bible that contain a well of water, and it also figures into the life of David. This passage we're going to read is a list of David's mighty men of valor. They were the heroes of the day. If you had trading cards, they would be on it. They were these incredible soldiers with incredible feats of courage and strength. It's like the best of the best, like the NFL draft. Anybody into the NFL draft this weekend? Okay. Yeah, Seahawks didn't look too good in that draft, so we may need to try something out. But these, these were the superstars of the day. And there were a list of 30 men and a, a group of three men. The Life Application Bible discusses it this way. These verses tell of some of the exploits that the special corps of David's army carried out. There were two elite groups of men, the 30 and the three. To become a member of such a group, a man had to show unparalleled courage in battle as well as wisdom and leadership. And the three was the most elite group. So first of all, there was the 30, the elite soldiers. And a couple examples, Abishai once used his spear to kill 300 enemy soldiers in one single battle. Beniah was another member of the 30. He was a valiant fighter who struck down two of Moab's best men, killed a seven foot six inch tall Egyptian with his own spear. So Beniah went against this guy with a club. The Egyptian had a huge spear and Beniah disarmed him of a spear and killed him with it. And he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. There's a book by Mark Batterson about that that's actually a very good book. And so these are two members of the 30 elite soldiers. And then the three members of the elite of the elite was led by Joshua Beam. He killed 800 enemy soldiers in a single battle with his spear, more than Abishai did, 300. And once when the entire Israelite army fled, Eleazar stood together with David and killed Philistines until his hand froze to the sword. He couldn't even open his hand anymore. And then the third member of the three, another time where the army fled, Shammah held his ground in the middle of a lentil field and beat back the Philistines all by himself. He was in a pea patch and he did great exploits. And so these are the three, the elite of the elite. And a king for him to be successful needs people around them. A king needs mighty men around him and a leader needs mighty men and women around him. And certainly a pastor, your pastor needs mighty men and women surrounding me and supporting me and helping me in this fight. Thank you so much. And so we look at these mighty men and there's a story to be learned here and it involves a well. And I believe it will challenge us today and encourage us as well. So let's look at this story in the, list, in the middle of the list of these mighty men. There's a little story. 2 Samuel 23 verse 13. Once during the harvest, when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephaim. 
The three who were among the 30, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. And David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. And David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. And these are examples of the exploits of the three. And so every story in the Bible has meaning. There's something we can learn from every story in the Bible if we'll apply ourselves. And so I want to share with you some principles today that we, we can glean from this story that we can apply to our everyday life. I want to preach on Sunday what you can live out on Monday through Saturday. I believe the Bible is so practical, and it's a guidebook for life. And so I don't want to just preach high and lofty theological truths. I want to preach those truths so they're practical in your everyday life. And so I, I'm excited about some of the things we find in this story. First of all, number one, mighty men and women don't start out that way. They're not born that way. They don't start out that way says David was at the cave of Adullam. And the valley of Adullam was between Jerusalem to the north and Bethlehem to the south. And when David was on the run from King Saul, he had a hideout in the caves of this valley of Adullam. And so David was very familiar with this territory and the terrain. And he actually had a fortress there where he could go and be safe. And so David had gathered to himself a unique army, a bunch of unique followers, they were a motley crew of misfits. Here's David on the run for his own life because King Saul wants to kill him. And so David has nowhere to go, has no, not a lot of support, and so he gathers around him this, this team that none of us would pick. You want to talk a, a messed up NFL draft, he had a terrible draft with these players. And so look, we see this mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam, and when his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to meet him there. And all those who were in distress, or in debt, or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. How about that for a team? The discontented, those that are deeply in debt, and those that are distressed. Those are the people that came to join David's team. How I many you know, you're only as good as your team. Whether you're in business or in athletics or academics, it doesn't matter. It's the people around you that help you be successful. There's, it's not you yourself only, but it's the, the team that you create. And David had this ridiculous group of guys who were on the run, because David was on the run himself, and this is how he started his army. The three D's, distress, debt, and discontented. I think you could add a fourth D, dysfunctional. We're going to see some of the stories that this, this motley crew, what happened around them. So, yeah, they were in distress and debt and discontented, but they were dysfunctional. This is not the ideal crowd to build a team from. This is not the group 
you want to fashion an army with, but I'm here to tell you, that's the kind of people God chooses. Same kind of people. God does not choose perfect people. He does not choose famous people. He does not choose the strongest of the strong. No, no. God has a different perspective. He looks at the heart and he looks for the potential. Almost every leader in the Bible didn't want their job when God gave it to them. There's, you, you read through people like Moses who messed things up and, and you, you read through Gideon and how he was so afraid he was threshing weed in a wine cellar. These people that God chose, they're not the kind of people we would choose. They didn't have the statistics. They didn't have the skill sets. They didn't have the influence. But that's the kind of people God calls. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.26. This will give you and me hope. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That's a nice way of saying we was dumb. We weren't too bright. And not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Why does God choose this motley crew? Because they'll, everybody will know whatever they accomplish, it has to be God. God will get all the glory because we know that we don't have what it takes. We don't have all the talent. We don't have all the resources. I talked about this last Sunday. But you know what God needs? He just needs our heart. He doesn't need our skill set. He doesn't need our trophies, our abilities. He doesn't need this glowing reputation. God chooses the weak things to shame the strong. Because when we win, everybody will know it's God. And we will not be able to boast. And so that's the kind of team God chooses. We're all in a good situation. There's hope for all of us. I mean, think of the 12 disciples that Jesus called. Come on. What a, another motley crew, right? You know, a few of them were fishermen. You, you know better than to call fishermen. All they want to do is fish. You know what I'm saying? That's all that's on their mind, fishing and more fishing. He even called tax collectors to be his disciples. They were the most hated group of all were tax collectors. And yet Jesus chose these knuckleheads that messed up so many times. You got James and John trying to call fire down from heaven to kill everybody. They just want to kill everybody. They don't want to save anybody. They just want to wipe them out. And, and so Jesus has Simon the Zealot. He was a part of a, an anarchist group. That's what the Zealots were, trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. And so Jesus chooses people we would have never chosen. Never. But God sees something deeper than what we see. In fact, when David was chosen, he was his father's last resort, son number eight. He, his father didn't even think him worthy to be called in from the fields until Samuel said, you got any more? I've gone through seven. He got, well, there's one more, David. I'll wait. And so God chooses people we would never choose because he's going to get the glory. David's mighty men did not start out that way. They were on the run. But this ragtag band of ruffians came to become mighty men of valor. And I want you to know that wherever you're at, it doesn't matter your age, it's what you've been through, what skills you have or you don't have, God wants to use you for his kingdom and his glory. We can become mighty men and women of God, no matter what we've done or where we've been. 
And so another principle that we can glean from our story is this, number two, Satan is our ultimate enemy. David was in the stronghold and a Philistine detachment had occupied his hometown of Bethlehem. And so the Philistines were an enemy of Israel for for centuries. And during the times of Samuel, Saul, and David, the Philistines were a perennial enemy that continually plagued Israel. Now, the Philistines are first mentioned in the lineage of Ham, who was one of the three sons of Noah. Look at Genesis 10, 13. This is the first time the Philistines are mentioned in the Bible. And so this is a genealogy of the sons of and grandsons of Ham. Mizraim was the father of the Ludites, Anamites, Lahabites, Naphtuhites, Pathrusites, Kalzhuhites, Kaluhites, from whom the Philistines came. I'm glad they changed their name from the Kalhuhites to the Philistines. Philistines is easier to say. And, and Kaphtorites and termites and every other ite you can think of. This was the lineage of the Philistines. And so their existence goes as far back as the life of Abraham. And the Philistines lived on the southern coast of Israel by the Gaza Strip from 12th century B.C. to 604 B.C. in that area. Now, they don't know where they originally came from because they appear on the scene and then they disappear from the scene of history. And so some historians believe they may have originally immigrated from the island of Crete, or they are, but they're also mentioned in Egyptian historical record as well. So not sure where they came from, but they showed up and a bunch of centuries later, they disappeared. What's amazing is they were, is the, the wealth of archaeological evidence. This is what I love about the Bible. Archaeology is the best friend of the Bible because they keep discovering all these towns mentioned in the Bible. There was another discovery recently of names of the kings. And, and in fact, we know that the Philistines were mentioned prolifically in the archaeological record. They found a, a graveyard of 150 Philistine bodies. So there's so much evidence that the Philistines existed. And then they were subjugated by the Assyrians, and then they were finally wiped out by the Babylonians, and they just disappeared. They were totally assimilated and gone as a people. But during Bible times, they were a fierce, fierce enemy. They, were, they plagued Israel and David and, and Saul. And as Christians, we too have a sworn enemy. It's not the Philistines. It's Satan. And we have to remind ourselves that the Bible says that we don't fight against flesh and blood. Our real enemy is not people. Oh, sometimes Satan uses people. There's no doubt about it. But our true enemy, our sworn enemy, is Satan himself. And so there's a way we can overcome him because he will fight against us. Listen, Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy your life. He's not to be taken lightly, but he's not, he's not one we should fear either. We sing, we sing about it today. We will not be slaves of fear, and, and Satan is the master at putting fear in the hearts of Christians. And so we need to know how to battle him and to to keep his influence from our life, and the scriptures teach us how. 
Look at 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. So there's two conditions. We need to exercise self-control and we need to be alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's how we fight him. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And so the, Satan is our sworn enemy. We have to resist his influence in our life. And he will try to influence us. He'll try to discourage us. He'll try to put in anger and unforgiveness and bitterness into our hearts. And so what we need to do is we need to resist him. We need to recognize that he's coming against us. And then we resist him and we stand firm in our faith. Another principle from our passage is the fact that, number three, we often long for what we cannot have. Isn't that true? We want what we cannot have or we don't have. And sometimes a lot of our life is spent wanting and longing for things that can never be. David is, he says longingly to his men, oh, I would love some of that water from the well in my hometown of Bethlehem. Because see, David's holed up in a fortress in a cave in the wilderness. I've been to southern Israel. I've been to the wilderness area. It is desolate. And there are caves all over the place. We went to Qumran where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which again helped, again, just affirmed the truth of the Bible. It was a portion of the book of Isaiah. And so I, I've seen that, that area where David would roam and hide and live. And, and I'm telling you, there's not a lot of water there. And so David is longing for some, some really good water. Now, I don't know about you, but water's water, right? I mean, I was one of those that grew up drinking out of the garden hose. I'm still here. You know, it may have caused some problems, you know, but they're not obvious. So, you know, some of us grew up that way. We didn't grow up with bottled water, right? We didn't grow up with filtered water. Hey, we're, we're good. Man, we become mamby-pambies now. You know, we got to have our water from a bottle filtered three times, whatever it may be. And so David is reminiscing about better times. I imagine he's thinking back as a kid when he would drink from that well in Bethlehem. Because now he's on the backside of the wilderness hiding out and running for his life. And so he, he longs for that water, but there's a problem. The Philistines have, have conquered Bethlehem. They've, they've set up camp there. They're occupying Bethlehem. And so David longs for water. But there's a problem. There's an army there. The water he was drinking just wasn't the same as the water he grew up with. Now, Jolie and I have been to Egypt a time or two, and I was so thrilled to find a McDonald's in Egypt. You know me and McDonald's. It's, it's my favorite restaurant, but please, last time I mentioned that, I got like 20 McDonald's gift cards, and they were gone like in a week. So please don't send me those, okay? I mean, I love you. I appreciate you for being so kind, but, you know, it's going to kill me. Because I can't resist. I mean, you know, it's, ooh, you know. So don't, don't give me McDonald's gift card, please. Because they will be gone, and eventually so will I. So went to McDonald's in Egypt. Had the same decoration, same menu, but I'm telling you, it just didn't taste the same. I don't know if it was psychological. I don't know if it's because you can't use like pig fat or something. I don't know. It just wasn't the same. So then 
we, we saw that, that there was a pizza hut. Now, you can't go wrong with pizza, right? Oh, yes, you can. It did not taste like the pizza hut we know. So I get it what David's longing for. It's the water he's drinking is not, the McDonald's he's at is not like the one at home. And so like me, David often did his thinking out loud. There's two types of people, people that process internally and people that process out loud for everyone else to hear. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm one of those people. I have to talk things through. I have to talk things out. And I may say things that I'm never going to do, but I just got to get them out. You know what I'm saying? And yet, you know, there are other people who process internally. And they don't say much until they're thought it through. And me, I'll say it before I've thought it through, and that can be kind of dangerous. And so David's the same type. He thinks out loud. I mean, the whole Psalms, it's all about David thinking out loud. Oh, God, why have you left me? Oh, God, break their teeth out. He's thinking out loud. And so it's in the Bible. I can pray that too. God, break their teeth out. Bless God. And so all the Psalms, I mean, David is thinking out loud. He has no problem displaying his emotions. David was an emotional guy. I mean, he got hot-headed sometimes, and, and, you know, he felt things very painfully sometimes. And so David's desire for water, he said it out loud. Oh, that I could have the water for Bethlehem because I can't have it right now. Well, his desire became a mission. For his three mighty men. I don't think this was David's plan. I knew, I'm sure he cared for his, his team. He did not want them to get hurt or injured unnecessarily. So I really don't think he, and he was being manipulative or trying to get this out. He was just thinking out loud like David does. Now it's amazing how loyal and committed these soldiers are. Think about it. They overheard this. And they decide, we're going to get him that water. And we're going to fight through the lines. We're going to put our lives at risk. But I want you to understand, David's men weren't always like that. These guys were willing to die for David. At one time, they wanted to kill David. That, that's the joy of leadership. Sometimes, you know, people want to bless you and then kill you. you know, it just depends how things go. And things didn't go well one time for David. And so remember, he's got this motley crew. They're not the mighty men yet. This motley crew of, of soldiers and misfits. And this is what happened in 1 Samuel 30, verse 3. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed. This is where they had been living. By fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no more strength left to weep. David's two wives, well, there's the first problem right there. <laughs> David, <laughs> he had five, I believe was the final count, but not as much as his son Solomon. So anyway, so David's two wives had been captured. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but... David found strength in the Lord as God. You know, sometimes you need and you desire the support of those around you. But sometimes you don't have that. And you have a choice. David had a choice. His men 
were talking about knocking him off, killing him. They blamed him for losing their families. And so David had nowhere else to go except God. And do you realize sometimes that's God's plan for us? He removes all those supports. We, we want people to come alongside us. We want them to support us. We want them to build us up. We want them to stand with us. But that's not always the case and it's not always possible. Sometimes we have to stand on our own. And that's what David did. He found strength in the Lord his God. If you feel alone today, if you feel you don't have the, the team around you that you need, I encourage you to stand in the Lord, to get your strength from God. You encourage yourself. Sometimes there's no one here to encourage you. There's, there's no one available. So we have to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Because sometimes God calls us to a solitary journey for a season. And we have to walk it through and learn to encourage ourselves and find our strength. And so that, that band of misfits, they weren't the mighty men yet. They weren't the guys that would give their lives, willing to give their lives for their leader. But in time, they would. They'd be willing to risk it all. Number four, true commitment is willing to take great personal risk. Somewhere along the way, these these misfits, in debt, distressed, bummed out, dysfunctional. Eventually, they put the function back into functional instead of dysfunctional. And these men became mighty men of valor. And at, a, at one time, they were wanting to kill David. But now, they're willing to give their own lives. Not just, not, not just for David, for a cup of water for David. Isn't that incredible? What a transition. We see these, this motley crew had grown and changed and they became mighty warriors and they became this, this amazing fighting force. And that's what true commitment requires. And so these three broke through the Philistine lines and drew water from the well and brought it back to David. Wow, what a commitment. Those in distress, those in debt, and those who were discontented were now becoming something new. I'm here to tell you that if you give your life to God, he'll, he will accept you as you are, but he will not leave you that way. He's going to bring change. He's going to bring healing. He's going to bring growth because God loves us enough not to leave us this way. And so thank God David's army had changed. But David had to do some changing as well because he certainly made mistakes as a leader Several missteps. But these dysfunctional dissidents became functional. And God can do the same for us. Amen? We've all got some dysfunction in our life, right? We may come from a dysfunctional family. We may, you know, you're in, I'm going to be honest with you, you're in a dysfunctional church. I'm sorry, because I'm here. Your pastor's dysfunctional in certain areas. And so the whole point of, of being a believer in Jesus Christ is that transformation that the Lord brings. We become new creations. All things become new. And the old has passed away. And, and that's a process sometimes. It's sometimes a lifelong process. And so again, from the Life Application Bible, it says this. Those in trouble, in debt, or discontented join David. 
who himself was an outlaw. And these people were outcasts themselves and could only improve their lot by helping David become king. And David's control over this band of men again shows his resourcefulness and ability to lead and motivate others. It is difficult enough to build an army out of good men, but it takes even greater leadership to build one out of the kind of men that followed David. This group eventually formed the core of his military leadership and produced his mightiest men. You know, we, we shouldn't give up on any misfit. They could be a mighty man of valor inside. If, if they will allow God to bring the growth and the change and the transformation, God can take a motley crew and turning them into the most fierce fighting force that was available in that day. The three took great personal risk for their leader, David. They were willing to give their lives, not just for him, but for a, a cup of water. I remember as a kid growing up in Yarrington, Nevada, spent most of our childhood there, 12 years. And it's, of course, we were there because there's a mine in Weed Heights, which is a town that was close by, and we all went to school in Yarrington together. And, but one of the great things about those days is, you know, during the summer, I'd leave the house at 7 and come back at 7 at night. Leave at 7 in the morning. Parents didn't know, no cell phones. Weren't those great times, y'all? Those of you who lived during that time now, we're scared to death. We don't even let them out of the house. And world, the world has changed. There's no doubt about it. It's a scarier place we live. But it was, it was awesome. Live, this, having summers back in those days, drinking from the water hose, you know, swimming in the river. Parents didn't even know what you did all day, but it was awesome. And so one of the cool things is there was a lot of abandoned mines around that area because there's a lot of mining that took place in the 1800s and in modern days as well. And so a lot of times we would explore those mines. It was, some of them are very dangerous. And so my brother, Danny, who was four years older than me, he and his friend went to one of these abandoned mine, mine shafts and they found a stick of dynamite. And of course they brought it home. And so I, I remember this. I actually remember this event playing in my mind. I can still see it being in the living room there. My brother Danny walks in and says, Hey, Dad, guess what we found? My dad said, What? A stick of dynamite. My dad said, What? <laughs> he says, Where is it? He goes, Oh, it's at my friend's house. So my dad jumped in the car, took off to my brother's friend's house, and found the stick of dynamite. And it had crystallized in and when that happens in dynamite, it doesn't take a fuse to make it blow up. It can blow up just by being jostled. And so my dad went into that house, got that stick of dynamite, got, jumped in his car by himself and drove to the river and tossed in the dynamite. Hopefully it didn't blow up sometime later, but, in, but it's a good fishing tool, I've heard, if you want to use dynamite. Maybe I'll finally catch something. But I'll never forget that my dad put his life on the line for this young man, my, my brother's friend. You know, sometimes that's what it takes. My dad took great personal risk to protect a teenage boy. And you know what? David's mighty men did the same. They took great personal risk. You see, David had won their hearts, so they were willing to sacrifice their lives. A final principle we learn is that number five, no sacrifice is too great for God. 
David did something amazing. I mean, you think about these guys. They, they barely made it out with their lives. They're carrying a canteen or a goat skin of water from Bethlehem's well that their leader wanted so bad. And they bring it back to him, and they're thinking he's going to love it. And maybe we'll get a taste of a little something because this, this must be some serious water for us to go through all this trouble. And instead, their leader pours it out on the ground. Uh, can you imagine what, what would you have thought? Like, <laughs> But there was a reason for it. At first, it seemed like a waste. Why would you pour out that water your men almost gave their lives for? Why would you, why would you do that? But it was a gesture of great appreciation. In fact, it was more than water. David said, this is like your blood you were willing to give for me. So it was more than just water. To David, it was a blood sacrifice that he could only pour out to the Lord. It was the only fitting response for men who had given their, almost given their lives for water. David poured it out as an offering to the Lord. Now that sacrifice had come at a great price. But new, no sacrifice is too great when we're pouring it out before the Lord. You know, there's another story of someone making a great sacrifice for Jesus. In John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, of course. She was always busy. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, and then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So think, what, $50,000, $75,000 worth of perfume poured out all at one time. But verse 6, Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief, as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus says this in verse 7, it's powerful. Leave her alone. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Wow. We... How many of us, just from looking from the outside in, would think, what a waste. And yet Mary is forever known of making this incredible sacrifice. And it had great meaning. It wasn't just this, this fragrance. It was preparing Jesus for his burial. There was a deep spiritual and symbolic significance. And it's very similar to communion. And why we practice communion. Because sacrifice is what communion is all about. You see, we, we take communion on a regular basis so that we'll never forget the price Jesus paid. And guess what? He poured out his blood. It was his blood that was sacrificed for you and me that caused your sin and my sin to be completely forgiven. 
It's the greatest sacrifice of all. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And so the reason we take communion is so that we'll never forget the price. We'll never forget the sacrifice. And and because Jesus gave his life for us, then we should give our life for him. Since he died for us, we should live for him. And so what sacrifice is the Lord asking of you today? Is there something that the Lord has been speaking to you about that you can commit to him? Or maybe there's some great feat that God's calling you to do to break through the lines of the Philistines for a cup of water for your king, the king of kings. And so if you'll take your elements with you and let's open the bread. And let's read and then we'll pray. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we hold in our hands a symbol of sacrifice. You gave your body to be beaten, your back to be whipped, your face to be punched and beard torn out. You were spit upon. Your body was the sacrifice, the final lamb, the final lamb that would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. So we don't take this lightly. Though it seems just like a piece of bread, it means so much more. So we, we take it with gratitude, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you partake of the bread? In the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And Jesus, you made the sacrifice, you gave your blood. You gave your life for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just bask in your forgiveness. It's such a glorious thing. Everything we've ever done is forgiven. It will never be held against us because, Jesus, you made the sacrifice. You broke through the lines of the enemy, and you brought us living water. And we are so grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you partake? Would you stand with me? I'm going to give the blessing and then dismiss, but you're free to stay in worship or you're free to go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 830 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California. 
at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.